Hey, New Hope, Pastor Adam here. Just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know how excited I am to be with you next Sunday. I cannot wait to share my first sermon with you, and it is going to be an awesome time together. Also, next Sunday is Father's Day, so all the dads in the house, make sure you are here. There's going to be a free gift for you, and uh, it's going to be an amazing day next Sunday. But here's the thing. Today is an amazing day as well. You've already experienced incredible worship today, and you're about to get to hear an amazing message from our director of young adults, Abby Ferguson. Let me tell you how God used Abby in my life. When I was praying through the calling to become your next pastor, I watched a sermon that Abby preached last fall, and God used that sermon in my life. Abby is a gifted communicator. She's an incredible Bible teacher, and I know that you are going to be blessed by her today as she wraps up our I Am teaching series. So do me a favor, New Hope. Welcome Abby Ferguson as she shares God's Word with us today. grateful to be here with you today as we conclude our I Am teaching series together. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, that's where we're going to be together in the Word of God. And if you're able, go ahead and stand up with me to your feet in honor of the reading of God's Word. Well, if you believe that God's Word has power and you're ready to receive all He wants to speak to you today, let me hear you say, I'm ready. Are you ready, church? These are the words of Jesus found in God's word. He says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are then gathered, thrown into the fire and then burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever it is you wish and it will be done for you. For by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Well, Father God, we are in your house today. And Father, we believe that your word proves exactly who it is that you say that you are. And so God, we've come to gather and we ask that you would meet with us. Father, you would speak to us. God, we pray that you would do a new thing here in this house, we pray. For if you do not speak, O God, Absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. So come and have your way today. We love you and we trust you. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, have you ever noticed that life is just full of decisions to make? In fact, studies show that the average person makes 35,000 decisions in one day. And church, that's the average person. So God bless all of the overthinkers out there, (laughs) such as myself. But there are big decisions we have to make, like what career path will we choose, or who will we unite our life with through marriage, or where will we make the decision to raise our children? 
But there are also much smaller decisions we have to make. Like what are we gonna eat for dinner? Or what sports team are we gonna cheer for? Now speaking of sports teams, I grew up with the love of professional ice hockey. And being born and raised right here in North Carolina, I made the decision to cheer for the Carolina Hurricanes hockey team. Oh, so a few of you know them. But I remember there was this one year where the NHL draft was happening and the Carolina Hurricanes decided to select the youngest player in the NHL at the time, an 18-year-old former figure skater by the name of Jeff Skinner. Now, because Jeff was 18 and I just so happened to be 13 at the time, my initial reaction to this news was, oh my goodness, I could marry this man. <laughs> and so one day, I heard he was having a meet and greet at a local restaurant. And I thought to myself, finally, this is gonna be my moment, we'll meet, we'll probably bond over him signing my jersey. This is about to change everything. There was just one problem, church. Every other young female living in North Carolina with the love of hockey, was probably about to show up to that restaurant thinking the same thing. And so I realized in that moment that I had a decision I needed to make. You see, I could simply show up to the restaurant like everybody else, or I could do a little something crazy in order to stand out and get them to remember me. So when faced with these two options, I decided to go with the latter. Because at the time in my room, I had this closet door with all of these pictures of him on it. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll just unscrew my closet door from the hinge and I'll bring the entire door with me to the restaurant in order to impress him. Cause that's exactly how you impress a man. Now don't worry, okay? I didn't walk into the restaurant with the door. I wasn't weird. I left the door in the car until they called my name to go meet him. And I remember this moment, I was standing and Jeff was somewhere over here and I'm looking this way and as I turn, Church, he was just staring at me. And I thought to myself, clearly, he's in love with me. <laughs> so I go up to him and I say, hey there, Jeff. Uh, I know you probably never signed a girl's closet door before and all, but I would be really honored if you signed mine. And then he just kind of giggled and signed my closet door and then we took our photo together. Here's us. <laughs> now, I know what you're probably wondering, so let me just go ahead and tell you. My relationship with Jeff never had the opportunity to take off. <laughs> Jeff got traded to some other team, but I'm just waiting for the day when someone comes up to this man and says, hey, what's the best fan experience you've ever had? And you know, he's gonna tell the story about how some Carolina girl brought her entire closet door to come meet him. <laughs> but you know, when I look back at this memory, and I recall that space I was in to go one way or to truly go all in with my fan dedication. To this day, church, I'm so glad that I made the decision to go with the latter. And here in our scriptures, Jesus is telling us that we too have a decision we need to make. In John chapter 15, Jesus is telling us who he is and therefore who we are. As he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So now you have the choice to abide in me and bear much fruit or go a different way. See, because we're in relationship with Jesus, abiding is something we must choose to do. And one commentator of scripture explains how just as in the songs of Solomon, just as they say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, 
Just as those two beloveds must make the mutual decision to choose each other, so too must we make the mutual decision to abide in Jesus. As he says, abide in me and I in you. But what's fascinating about this verse of scripture is once Jesus says this, he then goes on to use that word abide 10 more times throughout this one chapter in John. Jesus is placing a major emphasis on this word abide. So let's define it. The actual definition of abide means to remain or to stay. Here in our text, abide is a verb. So it's not a feeling or a belief, but rather something we must choose to do. And that word abide, it comes from the word abode, which means to make a home in. So Jesus is saying, choose to stay and make a home in me. I need you to keep seeking, to keep speaking, to keep serving, to keep showing back up. I want you to make the decision to abide in me. But in order to grasp the gravity of what Jesus is asking us to do, we have to understand when he's telling us this. See, we've been in this series talking all about these different I am statements that Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John. You might recall how in previous weeks, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the good shepherd, the gate that is open. I am the light of the world, and I'm the resurrection. But when Jesus says that he's the true vine, this is his final I am statement. And it's being said within his final hours. See, here in John 15, the Last Supper has already happened. We're just 24 hours away from the cross and the crucifixion. And in just two chapters, there's gonna be a betrayal and an arrest of Jesus. At this moment, Jesus is looking into the eyes of his disciples and he's saying the days are about to get dark. People are gonna become angry. And quite honestly, you're gonna see some things that aren't gonna make sense in the moment. And I need you to know that there's a real enemy who's after demolishing this ministry that we've created together. But I want you to make the choice to stay connected no matter how hard things are going to get. Because I am the true vine and you are my branches. But I wonder, New Hope, if you noticed that when Jesus says this I am statement, he doesn't just say that he's the vine, but rather he says, I am the true vine. See, that phrase, true vine, is significant for two reasons. One, if we study the Old Testament, we see that vines were used to symbolize the people of Israel. And this was most often done in a negative sense. It's why in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 21, we see that God says of Israel, I had planted you like a choice vine. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? By Jesus saying this I am statement in John, he's saying I'm about to enter into the mess to fix the failures of men. Because I'm not just some vine as you heard Israel was, I'm the true vine. Second reason why this phrase is significant is because vines were very prominent in the temples. In fact, in King Herod's temple, during the days of Jesus, there were these six foot golden clusters of grapes. As soon as Jesus mentions this word vine, the disciples are probably thinking of these golden carvings that you couldn't miss when walking into the temples. By Jesus saying he's the true vine, he's saying, hey, I know you think Israel's the vine, or I know you think this grand temple is where you can place your ultimate hope, but I'm here to tell you there's only one who is true, 
And true hope isn't found in a nation, a church, or a person. True hope is found in me alone. I'll be who you're not, and I'll do what you can't, because I am the true vine. So now that we've defined who Jesus is, you're probably asking the question, well, what does it mean for me? What's my response to it? And I'm so glad you asked, because there's three responses that I believe we should have when looking at Jesus being the true vine. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this first thing down. Our first response to Jesus being the true vine is this, trust the pruning. Trust the pruning. The word of God said, I am the true vine and my father is the branch. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. See, we know when planting, to prune means to cut or remove unwanted elements. In Greek, that word prune means to cleanse. You know, when I started working on this message, before I'd written, I was talking to someone who just so happens to be a farmer. And I was telling him how I got the topic of the vine, and he said, Abby, you get to teach on the vine? That's gonna be one of my favorite messages because there are so many farming and plant illustrations that you could go into. And guys, I kinda panicked inside, okay? Because there's only one thing I know about plants and that's how to kill them. <laughs> so let's just say I did a whole lot of studying on planting and farming ahead of this message and I found out some really incredible things. Here's one of those things. There's a certain type of pruning that a vine dresser does, and it's something called the pinching. It's where you have a vine with about six or seven branches on it. And along each branch are these little cluster buds of grapes. And the grapes wanna bloom, and they're just about to do so. But the vine dresser knows that if these buds do bloom, it would be too soon. And therefore, the grapes wouldn't be as strong or as tasteful as they could be. So the vine dresser comes and he pinches each bud just a bit, in order to develop the bud farther back on the stem, allowing the grapes to become stronger. Now all those little cluster buds know in the moment is the pain of them getting pinched, but the vine dresser knows that in the end, it's gonna be what's best for the grapes. And see, we're called to become the best versions of who God made us to be. And often in life, we must choose between good and best. And while we see good, God sees best. Could it be that you are about to settle for a taste of fruit, unaware that God is about to give you a whole garden of his best if you just trust the pruning process? Yeah, I know that relationship probably had some good moments, but did it really bring out God's best in you? I know that your job you have right now is giving you a pretty good paycheck, but is that occupation really what God is calling you to devote your life to? God desires we settle for nothing less than his best. And church, we have to understand that pruning is not punishment. It's not a punishment. But this can be so difficult for us, right? Because we live in a right now culture a culture that does not elevate waiting well. We wanna see it, to believe it, catch a glimpse in order to get prepared for it. We can watch other people bloom and begin to wonder, well, what's wrong with me? What do they have that I don't? 
But it's in these moments when we must trust and remember that we have a vine dresser who's operating with the bigger picture in mind. And while we see good, it is our God who sees best. And I love how Pastor Steve Carter, he says you can't microwave spiritual growth. No. What God is doing in their story isn't gonna look like what he's doing in your story. And we need to be careful when looking around at other people because comparison can contaminate our connection to the vine. See, comparison comes and it takes your focus off of Jesus and instead places it on other people or worse, on some expectation of a timeline you've created. But I think Lisa Turkis said it best when she said to trust God is to trust his timing. We serve a God who loves us too much to answer our prayers at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. Pruning is not punishment. God sees what we don't see. And we need to learn to trust the pruning process as we trust the heart of our vine dresser, our God who has our very best interest in mind. So our first response to Jesus being the true vine is to trust the pruning. But here's the second thing. In fact, it's gonna be on the screens behind me. So go ahead and read it out loud with me. Ready, go. Remember the promise. Remember the promise. See, I think one of the greatest traps that we can fall into in Christianity is this false belief that because we follow Jesus, we're just gonna be immune from facing hardships in life. But just because you go to church and you love the Lord does not mean you're gonna be immune from facing trials or temptations. The scriptures say that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Meaning, guess what? We're all gonna go through some really difficult things in life. No one's gonna receive a get out of problems free card. But what I don't want us to miss is that persecution can prove the power of the presence of God. How could we know about the steadfast love and faithfulness of our God if we never had to face anything difficult with them? How would people wanna follow the God we know if they never watched us go through any difficult moments with him? See, in my study, I learned this fascinating thing. Did you know when planting a grapevine, how much time must go past for that initial seed in the ground to one day bear fruit in harvest? Three years. It takes three years to see it get fulfilled. But what fascinates me is that is the exact amount of time that the disciples had with Jesus. And often in the gospels, when Jesus would say something that didn't yet make sense because it hadn't come to pass yet, he would say something similar to John 13, seven, when he says, you don't understand now what I'm doing. Oh, but someday you will. And eventually the disciples did understand because after Jesus' death and resurrection, they would recall these words that he spoke that proved his lordship all the more. And it makes me wonder, what promises from God are you clinging to in this season? What verses of scripture are just written among your heart that you're hanging on tightly to in this season? See, if you're anything like me, often in times of discouragement, you can forget the one who fights for you. But we have to remember the promise. For me on my Bible, on the very first page, 
I've written this phrase that I repeat often, and it's this, you told me, you told me. So whenever a hardship happens and doubt just tries to direct my attention, I'll repeat this phrase and I'll follow it up with a promise from scripture. Promises like Deuteronomy 31.6 that say be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So I'll say, God, you told me. You told me that you weren't gonna leave me. So I'm gonna remain in this present place you have me and I'm gonna trust I will not be forsaken because you told me, God. When we're lacking, repeat the promise in Philippians 4.19 that says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God, you told me you were gonna provide for me. Maybe for you, you're the only Christian in your family. Psalms 27.10 says, when father or mother forsake me, it is the Lord who will take me in. When something seems impossible, repeat that promise in Jeremiah that says, I am the Lord, the God of all of mankind. Is anything too hard for me? If you need healing, cling on to Jeremiah 17, 14 that says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed for you are the God of my praise. In singleness, quote Psalms 84, 11, that says the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If I don't have yet, well, it's just because it's not good yet. God, you told me you'll withhold no good thing. And there are some days when I'll walk around this church and I'll repeat those words that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, this is my church and not even the gates of hell shall prevail against it. Hear me in hardship, you may wanna question, but keep remembering the promises. And rather than hide from God in your doubt, allow that doubt to make you fall on your knees in dependency on him. Repeat the promises that he's already told you. Because when this waiting ends and this seed sprouts, we're gonna see those words that we already read in John prove true. When he said, by this, my father is glorified. There may be waiting, but remember the promise, God will be glorified. And personally, I don't believe that God is most glorified through our prayers being answered exactly in the way that we wanted. But rather, God is glorified through the display of his presence even when things don't go exactly as we hoped. Let me say that again, God, is not most glorified through our prayers being answered exactly how we wanted. God is glorified through the display of his presence even when things don't go exactly as we hoped. So will you trust him? And will you choose to keep remembering his promises? Our response to Jesus being the true vine is to trust the pruning, to remember the promise, but here's the last thing, abide by obeying. Abide by obeying. Pastor Chris Durso said that the byproduct of obeying and abiding is abundance, <laughs> which is just like the kingdom of God, isn't it? Because only in God's kingdom do you show up to serve just to get blessed all the more in return. 
Only in God's kingdom do we show up to give 10% of our income to the local church just to see God open up the floodgates and pour out so much more blessing, just as it says in Malachi 3.10. And that's another promise of scripture, by the way. And only in God's kingdom do we lay our whole life down just to find so much more. In order to obey and in order to abide, we have to obey. And the byproduct of obeying and abiding is abundance. And one way we obey God is by choosing to worship Him. No matter the circumstance, no matter the season, no matter if we feel that abundance or lack therefore of. And I believe that Jesus is looking for a people who will choose to worship Him no matter what. A people who won't just trust that God has good plans, but they'll trust that God has a good heart for them. See, in hardship, we can so easily walk away. We can say abiding, forget about abiding, I'm offended. Church, we can hurt to the point where we even begin to question God. But Jesus, Jesus is saying, I'm looking for a people who will choose to worship me in spite of circumstances. I'm looking for a people who won't flee when the tough times come, but they'll make the decision to abide in me. I'm looking for a people who say, although I can't choose the season that I'm in, I'm gonna choose the spirit I have within this season. Jesus says, I'm looking for a people who will lock eyes and abide in me. And my question for you today, New Hope, is will you allow God to shape you into becoming that kind of people. Let's be a church who say we will obey God by giving him our worship. Why? Because we believe he is worthy and we believe he is in this place. Because he already told us he's the great I am. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. So I will provide you with what you need. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. There's no situation too dark for me. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So even when there seems to be no way, our God steps up to the scene and he changes everything. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. So even if it looks dead, I'm not done. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. There's nothing coming through that gate that my God did not already pre-approve of. And Jesus says, I'm the true vine. So will you make the choice to abide in me? Trust the pruning. Remember the promise and abide by obeying. Because if the great I am is with us, then who can be against us? Church, will you stand up with me? Will you stand up with me and let's go ahead to go to God in prayer together. Well, Father God, we thank you that you are the great I am. And God, we thank you that when we don't know what to do or we don't know what next step to take, we can first remember and know without no shadow of a doubt who we are by recalling who you are. And so God, I just come before you, great I am, to pray over every single one of your children that have gathered in this place today. God, I pray for the person that's going through a pruning process right now. God, maybe it's a relationship change. God, maybe it's a job loss or maybe it's just a life transition. God, I pray that they would know that in the pruning process, 
You see better for us, Father. And you have good plans for us that are unchanging, Father. So I pray that you would speak your hope to your person that you're looking at saying that to today. And Jesus, I pray for the person that just needs a resurrection of your promises today. God, I pray that when the waiting gets hard, that God, when they're in the midst of a battle, that you would recall to their minds scriptures that they can cling on to. God, I pray that they would write these scriptures on the tablet of their heart on index cards and leave them in their car, God, reminding them that God, you who promised will be faithful. And God, I pray for the person that's at a crossroads right now. And they have two very important decisions that they could make. God, I pray that your son and your daughter would have the courage to obey you, God. And that they know that when we worship, your worries fall. And that God, you will be the God that will sustain us and see us through because you are the great I am. You alone are worthy of our worship and we are confident in this, that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we give you our worship, God. We love you and we trust you and we thank you for what you did today. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that we all said together, amen.